0: Welcome back to Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera, available everywhere. Good podcasts are sold. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, and I'm joined by my usual band of brothers. First, he's the platforming prodigy, it's Mark Robinson. Mark, we're back.
1: I am officially uh, a um, Pink Floyd Stan, um, so yeah! you can follow me online at uh, Comfortably Numb on Twitter. And uh, yeah, yeah, I I spent like the first part of January just be like fuck this. On my eighty-fifth attempt, I will finally get into Pink Floyd. And of course, knowing you, <laughs> like, on my eighty-fifth like, birthday. Like, yeah. <laughs> my well, yeah. Well, I'm not that far off. I'm 32 now. Um, but yeah, I figured, you know, if I'm gonna get into Pink Floyd, there's no other way than start with the fucking double album space rock opera. Um, but we got there in the end. So yeah, I'm good life's great you know other than the album's bleak as fuck but i kind of like that shit so oh yeah
0: is it just confined to the wall for now or uh, have, we, have we branched out any
1: i i'm taking my time i'm you know because the thing with the wall is it's so fucking dense that you can listen to it um like a hundred times and you'll pick out loads and different bits and pieces so um I'm, I'm starting with that and then i'll probably Go back to Dark Side Mark, of the Moon.
2: Mark, I'm gonna let you finish, but Dark Side of the Moon is one of the greatest albums of all time.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. Um, I actually started listening to Animals, uh, and I was really enjoying yeah. uh, Dogs. So yeah, you know. Uh, so part of this is because my girlfriend enjoys um Pink Floyd, although she kind of thinks that the Division Bell is pretty good. And I listened to about ten minutes of that, and I was like, no, nah, no, nah, this is this yeah. is dreadful. This is fucking dreadful. It,
0: Even I, Pink Floyd stands since the wee tender age of fourteen. I don't really like the Division Bell.
1: No, it's mainly high hopes that she likes, and uh, that one's okay. Okay. But um, yeah, as as much of a massive dickhead as Roger Waters is, he is kind of crucial to the the ethos of uh, Pink Floyd. So Mm. yeah, there's my Pink Floyd chat for the week. So I'm good. Okay,
2: (laughs) really current stuff, really up to date. Springboiding.
1: Springboarding out
0: of Pink Floyd corner, we've got the Roman Reigns of audio. is Jack Lazell. Jack, how are you? Oh, I've been uh, really getting you, into Billy. Billy or something. And
2: Juice <laughs> World. And yeah, I'm really cutting edge. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you're on the raggedy edge of the music biz, my uh, friend. As a- always,
2: absolutely. I'm 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 banging that new uh, Eminem record. You know how he's still really relevant and stuff. Uh, yeah. No, I uh, I'm good, mate. How are you? It's been too long it has
0: um yeah i'm good as well um i guess uh, straight uh up the top of the show we should do a bit of housekeeping here gents and uh we're, we're we're uh kind of we're gonna change things up a little bit we've kind of had the same formula here on link to the cast for jesus nearly five years now um and it's gotten to the point mark
1: where uh we're kind of starting to
0: run out of game of the week ideas.
1: Yeah, and I'm still not ready to play Dark Souls, so, uh, yeah. Basically, so we've been renewed for a fifth season, and it's kind of like that weird season of... Unprecedented. (laughs) It's like that weird season of Archer, where they went all uh, miami Miami? That was
2: fantastic. That was the best, one of the best seasons, I think. But, yeah. Pam gets all of her cornrows and shit. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah, basically, we are going to kind of streamline things a little bit and I think over the the past year or so we've I'm gonna say I don't have to say expanded uh links to the cast but kind of certainly expanded like the the types of podcasts that we do because there are a lot of things that we like to talk about that aren't just video games and uh certainly um you know when you guys started the popcorn social and um we kind of took the spirit of that uh, points for the start of this show um, so I don't think it's a, it's gonna be a, uh, I think it's kind of a work in progress over the next kind of month or so to figure out exactly how this will go but yeah we're we're stopping the the book club feature as it is uh, though I do think that if we find something that is is worthwhile to talk about we can always come back to that um, but you know we'll see we'll see how that goes but yeah basically we're gonna make this a more uh, I mean, we talk about the fact that, you know, this show is a podcast uh, about video games and nerd ephemera. And we're going to, I guess, really kind of hone in on that and, and expand on not just video games, though this is still primarily a video game podcast.
0: Yeah, um, Jack, this is, the, this is the kind of idea now that like, as as Mark said, our interests aren't strictly limited to video games. Um, so we're kind of restructuring the show to be a more conversational style, which I, I think suits better for us verbose for both gentlemen, um, during which uh, we'll, we'll get a chance to talk films, we'll get a chance to talk TV, we'll get a chance to talk video games, stuff we've been doing out in the real world, because sometimes, uh, in spite of how it may seem, we do venture outside. Um, and all sorts of different bits we'll still get in, as Mark said, the bits you love if there's a book club that feels worthy of our attention we'll still do it, we'll probably do our, our game of the year countdown uh, book club specials we did a couple of years ago again, now that we have more freedom during the year um, and stuff like that, but I think it kind of uh, unmoors us from a very strict formula to follow this more conversational style Um, and uh, I think that suits us Jack doesn't it?
2: It does suit us, yeah. Uh, It's the pop culture ephemera, and we will be squeezing the ephemeral artery of pop culture and covering ourselves in the viscera of joyfulness.
0: (laughs) A a fucking searing image.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know why, but when you started saying to me and then Mark said ephemera, that was the first thing that came into my head, which is very odd. But yeah, uh, I, I think any game worthy of mention, I just think any... You know, the book club doesn't always necessarily have to be about video game me and you have kicked ideas around about podcasts, about directors. I believe that at some point we promised an MCU thing, which we recorded way too much of and it's still on my laptop, so I might dust that off at some point and see if there's yeah. anything that can be salvaged from that. I think
0: I think it, I think, think we got through phase one and two in two and a half hours or something.
2: Yeah, we were like, oh, we'll just breeze through the first. The first phase took us well over an hour. We were like, we'll breeze through that in about 20 minutes and uh, yeah, just keep it to a solid hour. <laughs> and it just didn't happen. But yeah, uh, I, I I do, as you say, enjoy other things. There are plenty of good things and interesting things out there. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see what people think about us, not strictly. But I don't think we ever, I mean, I say we, obviously I'm a late arrival. I don't think this ever strictly was 100% of a video game podcast. Obviously, there's a lot of video game chat, but uh, the the bit up top that started off as like a sort of, you know introduction or like way of getting to know some of the hosts of the show a little bit better maybe gradually started becoming like a half an hour segment just like a a natural growth within the podcast in a good way i think
0: i think in our production notes i have that like clip to this has to be 10 minutes maximum and that has not been adhered to in a long while
2: it hasn't yeah i bet there's still like obviously i still think the primary because of a lot of things that we, we would talk about our video games, but yeah, there's a lot of other stuff going on.
0: Uh, right, gentlemen, shall we? Shall we just jump into things here? By all means, don't agree with me at once.
2: <laughs> well, normally you say let's jump into things, and then you jump into it. Look, look, we're
1: we're in a brave new world here. We don't know how this is going. So this is a bit
2: like when Spinal Tap try and reinvent themselves as like a jazz odyssey. Where like it's still the same band, but they just don't have a clue what anyone's doing.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a little bit. I I think it's it'll be uh, it'll challenge my hosting uh, skills to manage a,
1: a three hander with. Um, you could just said to handle a pair of idiots, and we'd have agreed.
2: Yeah, I was. I thought you were going to say it will stretch my hosting bone, and then I was going to be yeah, like, "That's we a weird thing to say." But then I realised I'm the weird one because you didn't manage a
0: couple of fucking chuckleheads here, but. um <laughs> Well, we'll start off with kind of like stuff we've been doing lately, I guess. Um,
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, no, with more conviction. Say it with feeling. Yeah, yeah. What are we going to do, Dave?
0: (laughs) Oh, you know, whatever stuff. I'm bringing that very Orange Cassidy level energy uh, to
1: things here as we... That's a shame because you're going (laughs) to get murdered by Minura Suzuki.
2: Yeah, but Dave, you normally conduct this uh, podcast furiously masturbating. How are you doing that with your hands in your pockets?
0: Uh, Hey, here he is um speaking of the grapples that's the the one thing i did this week is that i went to the the first ott show of january uh take me to your leader which is um kind of one of their their smaller contenders shows um but it's kind of it's kind of weird at the moment uh you you've both been in the, in the ringside club before it's uh, it's kind of like a 300 seater venue off the side of the National Stadium. Um, it it doesn't behoove big shows, obviously, but kind of with the venue crisis going on in Dublin, O T T have kind of had to make do that they're gonna to have to do kind of shows. They used to be contender shows where it was like one import, maybe two, and then the rest were all the trainees. But now, uh, because of the aforementioned venue crisis, it's kind of somewhere between a contender show and a full O T T show. Um, is the
2: um is the venue crisis extending to like you know people that are coming over trying to play gigs and like comedians and stuff um, like
0: that? not you see for them because they will fit into the bigger and more expensive venues because they're obviously their their budgets and stuff are going to be higher um it's not as much of a concern i imagine because like say for example the olympia theater in dublin which a lot of comedians and a lot of bands would do is only about what 1500 people but it's not a building that would be conducive to wrestling and even if it was handy to put a wrestling ring somewhere in that building it would be extortionately expensive to rent the venue for the night for ott would yeah be and it. the main like, thing to
1: keep in mind here is they have to fit inside a 16 by 16 or 18 by 18 ring i'm not sure what ott yeah. uses and that's 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 the the, the main I think thing 16. it's sixteen. Um, it's a 20 um, by uh,
2: 20 squared circle then
1: it's definitely not 20 by 20 i can tell you that restricted to um, the fed and the fed only
0: but um no it's like it, it was it, it's kind of it's sad because there's a lot of kind of expen- there's a lot of expensive venues and a lot of large venues um but for like a month to month show where they'd want to be doing five to seven hundred people and Making a profit off it, obviously, because it's not a charity. Uh, there are a few venues available. um Like I believe Joe Cabray was even talking on Twitter last year. They thought they'd found a venue out on the Shore Road, which would have been dead handy for for Mark, not too far away from where he lives. But um they ended up moving out of there uh, because it just. I think the venue is used for like GA and for mixed martial arts, and they were willing to pay more and be there more often. So the venue kind of just told them to get fucked. Um, so yeah it's it's tough but um, no the, the show was good it wasn't great I would say um, only a handful of matches on the show the highlight of which was uh, our lord and saviour David Starr defending his title against LJ Cleary for more Than hype which I thought was a match that was very much worthy of putting on the sheet but more uh, on, on that when myself and Mark talk about the sheet on the grapple which should hopefully be coming uh, in the near future um yeah, good show. I, I do love getting out to to the the wrestling every now and then. It feels like it was only the start of December I went to one before, uh my most recent one, and uh yeah, it felt like it had been about three or four months instead. Um Jack, you're kind of like um your your days of regularly going to the wrestling seem to be drawn to a close
2: where you are at the moment. I'm done with it. I uh I've never felt and in the last like five or six years I've never felt more disassociated with everything to do with wrestling in general. Like I got very um, excited when the sort of UK scene was burgeoning and, you know, we had lots of guys doing lots of interesting stuff and, you know, Progress and, and Rev pro were kinda at their height and, and, and putting on great shows like there was a great show at the electric ballroom like every month. You know, there was a pro show every now and then in between, and you see Japanese guys, you see guys from Ring of Honor, when they had a lot of good guys there, and... Yeah, I just... I look at the scene, and there's a few people on it that I like, but I think the idea of sitting through a full show is kind of over for me now. Um, for the time being, anyway. Um, and maybe just, like, sit back, take a year or two off, and then wait for the sort of scene to regrow... Um, because I feel like the UK scene, it's it's not dead. Like there's lots of good guys doing interesting stuff. There's just nothing that is really holding my attention anymore. And uh, yeah, aside from watching the Royal Rumble, I haven't really been watching much wrestling at all recently.
1: I will say, just to just quickly kind of talk about progress there. Like I watched Chapter One Hundred One. because uh, they spoiler alert. Uh, they had to crown a new champion, and uh, and I thought that Cara Noir was a pretty solid choice to go with, and it was a good show. Like, you know, definitely um, the the NXT UK uh, stink is still there, and I don't think that's going away anytime soon. Um, no when like
0: when when two of the remaining owners are two of the guys still running an XT yes, and yes
1: but I thought it was a very all, good show
0: all the people who are with competing companies not so much being allowed with the showing up on progress anymore like it's,
1: yeah. but uh, I think the Corwall was a, an inspired choice uh I, I've always liked Paul Robinson and I think his stuff that he's doing with the Proteus championship is pretty cool and yeah like it's There's a little bit of a kind of a reboot sort of vibe to everything that's going on, but I think the problem is, is there's so much uncertainty that someone is just going to get picked up and dumped in NXT UK, and that's been the issue with progress really for about the last year or two now that they can't keep anything consistent.
2: And the outcomes of the matches kind of feel obvious a lot of the time, like no NXT UK guys are ever being like they barely ever lose or if they don't or if they're not like they don't want to they want to give the other person like the win or make them look strong they'll book some kind I of mean, run in or something and
0: yeah look look at the problem they ran themselves into with walter having that belt where they just couldn't get it off him
2: i think a lot um, of promotions have a similar problem though
0: yeah yeah for sure um but yeah, there's that. We'll look we'll get into more I don't want to turn this into the grapple when we're doing one in a few days myself and Mark, but um
1: yeah, when's your next live wrestling event, Mark, coming up? Um I well currently it would be WXW. Um I'm going yeah. over to to Germany for the <laughs> 16 karat gold because I've been saying to you for the last couple of years, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this at some point and uh this is kind of the first time. Although the m- yeah, the more time
0: goes on, the more it feels like a funeral for WXW well, yeah, Now I
1: know, right? She probably should have done this a few years ago, but like, just in terms of logistics and finances, like I can make it work this year. So that currently is the only um, event that I've got lined up, but I'm sure you know I'll be I'll be popping up at OTT shows throughout the year. Yeah, um, it, kind of moving from from stuff we did
0: into the kind of stuff we've we've seen lately. Um, Mark, you're kind of making a more concerted effort to do more cinema stuff. You were kind of the the guy on the podcast who the run and joke was that you didn't see TV shows ever and stuff like that. So You'd see like a movie
2: a year or something.
1: Uh, So to a certain degree, yeah. Uh, I do think that last year I was a little bit better with that kind of thing, but I was also using... Like, I, I finally got Cineworld Pass, I think it was, like, last September, but I was using it to see trash like Gemini Man and Terminator Dark Fate that I wouldn't, you know, see otherwise. But, hey, uh, that was def-
2: quite good. I like Terminator Dark Fate.
1: It was only good because it was the best thing since Terminator 2, but, you know, uh, we're grading on a significant curve considering Terminator Genesis happened. But yeah, I'll agree with you to some degree, but Gemini Man was horrendous. But yeah, yeah me... Sucked. Me and and the girlfriend have, have uh, certainly making a concerted effort to see a bunch of things and I think it helps that in January alone we had a, a lot it's been a stacks month of very good films and uh, I'll start with the one that I have down just by myself, but I'm sure you two have seen it and like 1917 which came out at the start of January and you know the the trailer alone certainly Gave uh, a real kind of sense of, of dread and real kind of atmosphere and really kind of placing you in in the the, the world of, of World War One. Um, and then you know reading up about the film before it came out. And I like Sam Mendes. You know, uh, I think Skyfall is an incredible film. Spectre was a bit of a mess, but hey, there you go. But like he's kind of sense of uh, cinematography and like the the one good thing about Spectre is that opening scene and that that one long cut shot and the idea that uh, 1917 was going to be, you know, feeling like it was just kind of one long cutscene, and you know there are a few moments where the the cuts are are obvious, but then there are large portions of the film where you can't tell if if a cut happens or not, and even with that, you know, the amount of technical work and production that goes into making that kind of thing happen is just incredible, and uh, you know I saw people kind of talking about how. It, it's the closest it's you felt to being in like a first person video game a first person shooter in a film uh, other than what the hell was that uh, film that came out a couple of years ago that literally clover henry. Hmm? Hardcore henry. Hardcore henry hardcore henry that's the one uh, uh that that being the gimmick of what that was trying to be but you know this really also f-
0: that that the the only good two or three minutes of that doom movie yes of course yes because that
1: film was trash um (laughs) that that was a pin bar scene my friend (laughs) yeah but this i just you know the even if you watch it just for the 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 kind of technical aspect of it it would be an incredible film but it's actually you know like story wise it's a very simple plot but it doesn't need to be more than what it is and certainly for the fact that the entire film takes over happens over the course of a day you can't really go too advanced with the plot but um, I just I, I thought it was an incredible thing that had me gripped from beginning to end and I think that the uh, the performances uh, by everyone involved uh, I thought they really showed the they conveyed the the sheer terror of being involved in something like World War one and being in the trenches uh, and there's a, there's a couple of like... 10-minute, 15-minute documentaries on on YouTube that talk about how certain scenes were filmed. And, you know, they're just as worth watching as well as the film itself. And, like, one of the, probably the most infamous scene of the film that is in the trailer, like, how they put that together and a couple of, like, the happy accidents that happen that just add to the entire spectacle. Uh, Yeah, I I think that uh, 1917 is, is an incredible film
0: and if you've got a jones and for that i'd recommend something i saw recently but hadn't put on the um the agenda for this evening but you've just reminded me of it um the peter jackson movie they shall not grow old which is the one where he recolorized and digitally enhanced uh archival footage from world war 1 to tell like a, a documentary story about the war um so if you got kind of got a fix for a bit of world war 1 on then then that's where you want to be going i think um yeah i i, I really um one of the things i really liked about it apart from the kind of as you say mark that the technical aspects and the looming dread and and things like that um is it kind of brought uh forward a lot of the things that kind of people don't realize about like the difference between because war- in in school certainly in 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 ireland and a lot of other countries they don't so much dwell on the world war one it's um I saw a tweet once that said World War 2 was a much better sequel it had a very obvious bad guy um and it was an easy story to tell and that kind of is the way like with with history in schools it's kind of hard to to t- tell teenagers about World War 1 it's a lot more nebulous um But the the stuff about like the the trench warfare and and getting to have the long tours through the trenches I think is really interesting in in, um in nineteen seventeen and just kind of I think as a an educational tool to kind of give people a picture of what like those big kind of networks of trenches were like and um I, I think it really didn't sugarcoat the the ghastly horror of no man's land in between the two sets of trenches, um yeah, I, I just, I really like it. I, I think it's it's probably like, I don't know if like it's an all-time iconic movie. I, I think there's a couple of movies, by the sounds of it, uh, that are on my to-watch list over the next few weeks that a lot of people say, by comparison, 1917 seems to be the very safe choice for Best Picture. As opposed to say like uh, an uncut gems or a parasite or, or a couple of other movies like that. Um, but a very enjoyable film nonetheless, uh, I, I think. Um you saw it as well, Jack, didn't
2: you? Yeah, so what I will say is I think this is it should really be a shoe in for best direction because I, I it is just genuinely the best shot movie I've I've seen this year. It's, it's it looks incredible. One of the things that I think that um you guys kind of danced upon it but like didn't really go deep like I so th- th- it being from their perspective you actually feeling like you're kind of traveling along with these guys I, I think it's really clever how they make you feel the sort of innate claustrophobia when you're in the trenches which makes which feels scary for for very obvious reasons of like being crammed into there with a bunch of people but it's it, it the use of wide open space like when you're in no man's land just the idea of the immediate first thing they say when they get out of the trench is like find cover and that the only place that they have cover when a plane flies over is like a a blown out um a blown out crater from a shell and that they're actually warned not to go into too many of them because some of them are actually too deep to get out of and they might get stuck but whenever the characters are kind of out in the open there's always this the, the sense of dread is even higher than the, than the claustrophobia in the trenches because you're just waiting for like something to come out of nowhere and, and, and happen to them and even when it's at its calmest and the, the, the two characters are just telling stories with each other there's just that genuine creeping fear that I that I had a lot more when they're out in the open than when they're in the trenches. So I think it's quite clever the the way that they use space in the movie and uh, what it comes to represent for how the two characters' journeys are affected.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, Mark, there's a there's, your, your other film here uh, is something we both saw. I only just saw it yesterday, and that was uh, Just Mercy, um, starring Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx.
1: Yeah, um, this was based on a, a real life story of a, a black man in the was it the eighties? I, I can't remember the. Yeah, yeah, uh, the a, crime
0: happened in the eighties, but I think most of the actual
1: the events, events, the events during 90s. the film are like the very early nineties. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it kind of tells of this this uh, black man who is falsely convicted of the the murder of a, a young white female in uh, Alabama. And uh, Michael B. Jordan uh, plays this uh, attorney who's there to kind of take on the cases for um, people on, on death row. And, uh, you know, it's... I I kind of knew of the the, the real-life story, but it wasn't something that I'd kind of, like, paid too much attention to. But it was something that I just knew in the back of my mind had happened. And um, this just... I, I won't spend too much time in it, but the, the one scene, and I think, um, Jack, have you seen Just Mercy as well? Yeah, the one scene, and I think you too know the one scene, uh, that happens just like... You know when you have moments in a film, especially when you're in the cinema... And you like once the scene ends, or like at a critical point, you realize just how deftly silent the cinema is because everyone has, you know, stopped eating their popcorn or stopped fidgeting or whatever because they're so just fixed on what's happening. And there's a a particular scene that happens with uh, a death. I'll say that much. That is is really one of those moments where you just get lost in the scene and you're you're not even thinking about the fact that you're you're watching a film. Uh, and, you know, after that scene ends, all I could hear around me was just like the the sobbing and, and the sniffing of people, you know, trying to wipe away tears and whatever. And, oh, my God, uh, I, I yeah, the, this film was uh incredible for completely different reasons to, you know, 1917. I, I think, um yeah, I, I, it reminds me of, I, I think, very much
0: there's a similar event that occurs in the Green Mile. Of course, I was thinking that as well, that, yeah. I, I, It probably would have been a similar effect had I been not about 12 years old when that movie came out. Had <laughs> I seen that in the, in the cinema? Now, granted, I probably would have been a lot more tired because that fucker is like three hours long of a movie. Um, but yeah, what I would describe it as, whereas I don't think in terms of like... Um, in terms of the like obviously it, it it's a true story but in the kind of like the past 20 to 30 years where there's like a fasc- fascination on the cr- true crime genre and on the the wrongful conviction narrative i i don't think narratively it's anything we haven't necessarily seen before um i don't think it has obviously the technical mastery of like a 1917 what it is is it's a performance movie um and like the two leads here, Jamie Fox and uh, Michael B. Jordan are absolutely incredible and and carry the film on their their shoulders through to its end and um have a very kind of believable, both believable characters in them in themselves and a believable bond between the two men. Um, I just I am so in love with uh, the actor, Michael B. Jordan, his performances are fantastic. And it just, it blows my mind every time I remember that this is the kid that was Wallace in, in the wire that I watched so many years ago and has just this incredible short and tragic arc. And like of all the kind of actors that came, you know, that got their big break on the wire, like the Idris Elba's of the world. Um, I don't think any... When all is said and done, I don't think anyone's star is going to shine brighter than Michael B. Jordan's will because he seems to just be... Every time I see him, he's just getting better and knocking stuff out of the park. And, like, I, I fucking love those Creed movies. I, I think he's, like... In in this day and age where people are kind of reviving franchises left, right, and centre, I don't think... any. I don't, I don't think there was much Gras for a reboot of Rocky, basically, but the way they've handled those movies... And the way he performs in them, he's just—he's a, just a phenomenal actor. Don't you and, think, yeah, I... Dave?
2: One of the things I love about him in, in this movie, Just Mercy, and in Creed and stuff, is that obviously he plays characters with like a very strong sense of conviction in everything that he that he does. But he portrays vulnerability that just makes him so like you—you you identify with his actions in in everything yeah. that he's doing. <sighs> And he's he even in the audience with him in every single yeah. performance, he'll carry the audience on his shoulders. Dude
0: him. Dude, his relatability even in like Black Panther, where yeah. like you know, of of all the villains perhaps in the history of the, the, the MCU, um his reasons make the most sense for him. Like I I he, don't know, I'm kind of on board with Thanos, but that's just me. <laughs> oh, but like he he's kind of he is completely like if you saw the world through the lens he saw it he is utterly vindicated in in why he acts the way he does in there and there is even in that character that's supposed to be the big bad in that film there is like you say jack just an intense vulnerability about him and that if you go back and, and watch that arc he has in in season one is it season one or season two it's one of the first two seasons of the wire anyway that's you could see it from then yeah, you know, it, it's always been there and he's just refined it and and got better. Um and yeah, he's just, he's a phenomenal actor and I'll just I will happily go see anything that man is in because, you know, he is going to carry it to be a decently enjoyable film
2: no matter what. I um I think I Brie Larson in in this movie is like so like I, it, almost kind of peripheral, which is very strange because she's like probably like one of the top 10 most well known or best actresses around at the moment, right? And she plays like mm-hmm. a really sort of low key supporting role in this movie. Like such as the dominance of the of the Jamie Foxx and the Michael B. Jordans that you, you don't even really appreciate that she's just kind of there in the movie playing a kind of a pivot or but also like understated role. So I wonder what you guys thought about her in the movie.
0: Yeah. It it's very subtle. Uh and I think, you know, she knows uh, I think, like, she's a good enough actress and she's been around enough to know that kind of, like, if she was trying to overdo it and steal scenes, it would have really made the film a bit wonky because that's not what the character's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be big or scene-stealing. Like, she's kind of just this subtle presence, that kind of motivating voice in um, in Michael B. Jordan's life that's kind of just keeping him going um, and kind of, like, almost his Sherpa in this... Worlds in Alabama that he he really didn't know what he was getting in for uh, when he arrived.
1: I mean, you know you that in the head, with it. it's a, it's an understated performance, but it's what the the character and that performance needed to be, um, and you know that allows the breathing room for uh, Michael B. Jordan and and uh, Jamie Foxx because the you know they are the pivotal characters in the film, and uh, and I think yeah, like Jamie Foxx it's it's bad that. When I think of Jamie Foxx, I immediately go to Electro, and oh, I shouldn't. Oh, come on. No, no I, I can't. It's just that's... I, I, it's the film that I associate him with the most, because I saw that film a fair amount of times, and it's one of the Why? first films... No, because honestly, because honestly for whatever reason, it was, it was one of the first films that I saw him in, so it's just... For whatever reason, no, I mean, I like, how, them.
2: how have you seen that film multiple times? Like, it's it's really bad, no? Or do you, if I, you like it, fair enough.
1: I I don't hate it as much <laughs> as some other people. <laughs> I know, it's really bad, but if you like it, no, I
2: mean, I mean, like, to <laughs> me, like, I, it's not fair for me to declare universally that Spider-Man two turn off the spider-man was uh was a bad movie but it it, it, it all i, all I will a...
1: say all i will say spider-man through is worse but you're not wrong it's not a great film but this is not the time and place for that discussion <laughs> that's true but i always forget that he's he is an incredible fucking actor like i loved him in baby driver and he's the way he gets into this role and both of him and michael b jordan and a lot of what you were saying there about michael b jordan dave i think certainly relates to Jamie Foxx in this role as well and I don't know I just kind of came out of the film and it was kind of similar with um uh what the hell was the film with um Keira Knightley last year about the Iraq war I can't remember the name of it off the top of was my head. Was it called,
2: like, The Informer or something the, like official that? Official
1: Secrets or something? I can't remember. The oh, exact it was name, Official Secrets. Yeah. yeah. Like, both of those films, I came out and it was just that kind of like, oh, yeah, we as a society and our governments and, like, the justice system, it all God, just fucking sucks. I tell you what, I, I had no idea where you were going, where you were like, speaking with Jamie
0: Foxx, what's that Kira Knightley movie? I was like, what? No, no, no. no. <laughs> not...
1: But just like you come out of it and you just think about like certain real life, real world events. And you're just like, yeah, things kind of fucking suck sometimes, don't they? And I don't know, there are aspects of this film that I feel are just as prevalent in 2020, which is a depressing state of affairs. But uh, yeah, uh, an incredible film and uh, worth seeing.
2: Pretty- Please watch any given Sunday, which is a great Jamie yeah. Foxx movie, where he plays like a, Collateral. A, a young quarterback. Yep, Collateral is a great Jamie Foxx movie, and a very underrated in the Michael Mann canon. Ho, um, Django Unchained. Which I've is, seen
1: Django actually. Think about it. I forgot. Oh, that.
2: that's good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Was
0: would you say, Jack, that uh, Collateral is one of the last movies where Tom Cruise wasn't just clearly playing Tom
2: Cruise? I kind of guess so, but he also kind of was playing Tom Cruise, though, wasn't he? Oh, he's look,
0: look—he's never not Tom Cruise, except maybe as Lestat.
2: <laughs> but the the crown jewel is uh, Ray, uh, which is the yeah. the biopic of Ray Charles. Oh, he's great in Dreamgirls as well. I mean, I yeah, but I I I say Ray because that that was his oscar winning performance you know yeah yeah that that's his move. that's a star turn uh, mark so i i that's that's some homework for next time go away and watch ray uh it's it's brilliant and and ray charles quite like a he's almost peripheral to a lot of people um from that era of music who don't really know it that well and maybe only kind of known to people of our generation for his uh turn in in the blues brothers playing <laughs> shake your tail feather uh, when they uh-huh. go to buy instruments for the band But yeah, uh, Ray is class And so is Jamie Fox
0: Indeed he is um, I'll go with my my one um, My other one here So I had Just Mercy But I also have, a, I kind of watched In between Game of the Year and this episode I watched the entirety of Netflix's adaptation Of The Witcher
2: Should we toss you a coin? <laughs>
0: uh, you should, that is a fucking banging tune I'll tell you that much But um, but uh no I, I kind of like it's something we've talked about before in the program the the idea of the the video game now I know this is more adapted from the Sarcopsy books than from the uh, the video game but it is ostensibly a kind of like most people will come to it as oh, it's the video game TV show so it's worth including in the canon. Um, but it's it's really good you know it, it like it, it scratches that um, it scratches which, that Game of Thrones itch. It's not quite um, Game of Thrones like early seasons levels, but it's certainly better than Game of Thrones late seasons. I'll tell you that much. Uh, for damn sure, um, it's only eight episodes, which I was kind of by the end. I was like, oh. And how long it, each, I presume? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Okay. Um, it nails something about the the books and the lore and the video games. It's very important for people. I I think that um because obviously the video game needs a player character and stuff and that's Geralt, um, you kind of lose sight about the idea about the books as kind of like... <laughs> Geralt is this nomad that's kind of wandering in and out of other people's stories rather than the story always being about him. Um, and I think it kind of... It, it, it nails that pretty damn well because if you watch this whole season, the the show is way more about Ciri and, and Yennefer than it is about... Geralt and that's good because I think that the idea of a Witcher in this lore is that it's a character that has been through these trials where they're stripped of all human emotions and following somebody that's supposed to be this kind of like even keeled at all times character would probably get wearing at times so it dips in and out of what Geralt's doing and how he's intertwining with the other narratives quite well Uh, I think
2: Um, yeah uh, uh... At the the risk of sounding like Jean Diane Raphael. Um specifically what is a witcher? Uh
0: basically it so they they would be originally a human, uh kind of sent away to train to become this elite monster killer, uh, for hire, essentially, to these different schools. There's like the the school of the wolf, of the bear, of the griffin. um and like so Geralt went to the school of the wolf at Kaer and he went through these intense physically and mentally draining trials as part of which you, you could probably consider them, this is an incredibly nerdy comparison but Jack think of the Terrigen mists that the Inhumans go through to gain their enhanced abilities, okay. so he goes through these trials, he gains some enhanced abilities Is um, there a sort of
2: pterogenesis an- like process for a witch of them?
0: Uh, again I haven't read all the books and uh, I hopped on the video game series quite late where he's already a witcher so I don't know if there's specifically a mist uh, or mist analogue uh, but it's a similar process in as he has he has a natural long life uh, you know stronger than average men is you know he has this kind of like he casts spells and and things like that but essentially a witcher is uh, like a a monster killer for hire and um, Henry Cavill, who I thought was like a super weird choice to play that character is brilliant uh, in it. And there are very few things in this life more satisfying than the way Henry Cavill as Geralt grumbles and then says an exasperated fuck, (laughs) which he does several times. And it pops me huge every single time. Um, the real revelation in the series is an actor uh, called Anya Shalatra, who plays Yennefer in it, and she is just... I have I don't think I've ever seen her before in anything, or if she was in something I've seen, it was a very, very small role. But holy shit, she is amazing. She plays Yennefer. The whole season is really about her. Um, hers is the kind of most prominent plot throughout. um And the way kind of like I, I won't spoil the way things go but like early on she's doing there's obviously some prostheses involved as well but she does this these kind of like the way she poses herself to like kind of distort her own body and look her gr- look gro- gross and kind of deformed and stuff like that and then she goes through her change when she joins us, um the Sorceress Lodge and she kind of becomes this all-powerful uh Which, she is and her performance throughout is just fantastic and obviously her and Geralt's relationship is is central to their both of their their stories and the way they interact with each other is fantastic in it yeah she has been the real find of this series and she is going to be going on to bigger and better things I can guarantee you that she's she's fantastic
2: cool recommend it
0: yeah i
2: i would thoroughly
0: at, at only eight episodes like if you're looking for that kind of like fun fantasy show um this is kind of this this is a good way to go and i think they've already started filming season two and some of the characters they're looking to cast in it uh it looking like a very exciting season two and where they left off season one is very exciting cool um yeah just be wary when you go into it though because it kind of confuses people um think about how Westworld season one's narrative is structured that's all i'll say okay okay uh jack
2: yes so i saw very recently in fact uh richard Jewell. so we've already covered a movie uh about a sort of miscarriage of of justice in the american justice system this is very much a different sort of trial uh this is So, the story, as it is, is uh, about a security guard called Richard Jewell, who's always wanted to be a policeman, but he's a bit weird, he's a bit over-officious, and he's just generally quite a sort of difficult, awkward character to deal with, despite having, like, honestly, a a heart of gold you can tell that like people just can't really be bothered with him and that's probably what's led him to this point there's like a, a thing of him like you know he he's so obsessed with upholding the law in society that like this there's a scene where he's in a university and he uh, he busts some kids for drinking and gets way 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 too uh, over the top with them to the point where it actually leads to him losing his job and really, most college security guards just kind of let it go. But yeah, you uh, you hear reports of him like pulling over people outside the university because he thinks they're trying to bring drugs in and stuff. So anyway, he happens to be a security guard during the Olympics uh, in Atlanta in 1996. It's his sort of over-officiousness that uh, actually ends up finding the bomb and he m- they get people out of the way to a degree it does kill two people one of them was a security guard and and one of them just was a member of the general public but if it weren't for him then i mean there were people in a tower uh right it was in a in a park where they were having concerts so there's like a tower with like a sound desk and, and filming and stuff in it so all of those people probably would have died as well as like way more members of the the general public and and Basically, John Hamm plays this just generally disgusting FBI agent, and he's really not got much of a clue as to who did the perpetrated the bombing and and how they did it. Because he was uh, on duty there, but rather than paying attention, he was just sort of like standing around morosely, staring at the stage, wishing he could be anywhere else. So uh, he just. To sort of fit the narrative, Uh, the dean of the university that sacks Richard is the one that reports him to the FBI as having the potential to be the sort of, you know, kind of, like, white male in his, like, late 30s, early 40s, lone bomber kind of personality trait, even though pretty much everyone else around him in the movie knows that he's not really capable of such things, he, John Hamm's character leaks this information to the media, and it just starts a shitstorm, basically. And you just see this, this guy and, and his mother, who's played excellently by Kathy Bates, just their lives just become an absolute misery. So instead of, like, a miscarriage of justice in an actual criminal trial, there's this trial-by-media angle... And, you know, the media outside his house. The FBI are searching through, like, at one point they take all of his mother's Tupperware and a Hoover away because they're just trying to find anything that they can possibly link to the case with. And they just put the guy through absolute hell. Um, and the, the man who saves the day, actually, in the movie, or, or turns out to be a, a, a sort of a rock to, to, to kind of tether himself to for Richard Jewell is, is Sam Rockwell, who plays his lawyer just absolutely brilliantly as kind of being down on his luck but extremely strong-headed lawyer and there's there's actually a bit of um Saul Goodman I think about him but kind of in a good way where he's like yeah he's a bit showy and a bit of a loud mouth but he actually knows his stuff and he helps him out but I just think it's a real starter and the central performance by Paul Walter Hauser who was absolutely class in I, Tonya, just being a complete dipshit friend of, uh, of Tonya Harden's boyfriend and that. And he, he was proper, like, comedy character, and he always made you laugh on screen. But in this, you just see the, the sort of sense of, of a man who's so strong in his convictions that he almost allows everything that's happening around him, all of the procedures and shitty things they're trying to do to him, he's always trying to justify it. And there's this, like, real sense of internal struggle of somebody who's up against, like, a really shit situation, but somebody that wants to stand on the principles, which are are essentially founded around the law, whereas everyone else in his life is just telling him that everything that's happening to him is awful and he should be really mad about it. Uh, And that kind of... Struggle is just depicted so well by by Paul Waterhousey and at Powser, and I, I was kind of disappointed that he doesn't get an Oscar nod for this because I don't think he did get nominated for it in the end. And like, no, I think was it Kathy Bates got nominated? Yeah, Kathy, for Kathy Bates, supporting Bates, Kathy Bates was fantastic, but like, I really feel like he should have been nominated here. He he was so so yeah. good, and I really recommend it because it's just a very interesting story. It kind of takes like a little segment of of. I had a, a rough recollection of the bombing happening at the time, but I really didn't know to the extent of, of how everything went down and how much worse it could have been, and what a genuine hero this guy turned out to be who was portrayed to be like, you know, kind of everything that you would expect from a sort of modern day uh, lone right wing kind of character. So, yeah, it's, it's a great movie, thoroughly recommended.
0: Uh, It seems like uh, your other movie is kind of, um, it's on a slightly different tack.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'll be kind of quick with this one. David Copperfield uh, is brilliant. And to start off with, Dev Patel is, again, probably one of the most underrated actors on the planet at the moment, I think. And at one point, I think, does probably win an Oscar because he's just class in in every possible way but uh yeah he plays david copperfield really well in a sort of modern reimagining of the david copperfield story even though it's it's still in victorian times there are elements of the story changed to make it pg so it's not as kind of harsh there aren't as many deaths and horrible things in it uh, as there are in the original story if you know it quite well but it's just a, a fantastic ensemble cast. Like, Peter Capaldi is brilliant as Mr. McCorber. Every time you see him, he has a new kid. <laughs> and his wife has given birth, like, yet again. Uh, by the end of the movie, he has, like, a whole litter of kids. It's pretty funny. And Mr. Dick, played by Hugh Laurie, who really is just basically playing his Prince George character from Blackadder 3, but in a in a quite brilliant way as well. And it's it's just a sort of movie that's... It'll, Put a massive smile on your face. It's if you don't know the story of David Copperfield, I think you really enjoy it. And if you do know the story of David Copperfield, I think it's a good, interesting take on it. Um, But yeah, it's it's very, very Uh, good, David Copperfield. I
0: I think I was quite surprised when this was the next project from Armando Iannucci.
2: But it has all of the snappiness of an Armando Iannucci movie uh, without the usual just abysmal level of swearing that he puts into all of his stuff which I greatly enjoy personally like that but it's 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 very hard to kind of sit around and watching Armando Iannucci like with your family at Christmas because you just you know you've either got like Peter Capaldi's Malcolm Tucker or, or Death of Stalin which not only was there swearing in it but it was also dealing with incredibly bleak times in, in Russia and yeah did It with a level of historical accuracy that was actually quite startling at times, like he can, really didn't pull any punches. He just
0: can we take a moment to appreciate Jason
1: Isaacs? And
2: <laughs> yes, <laughs> <Do> you know? <laughs> I
1: only saw Death of Starling for the first time, uh, a month or two ago, and I remember reading up that Jason Isaacs was um, Malfoy's dad, but even with that knowledge, I still completely forgot that. And then when I went into the film, it was still only afterwards when I read and found out who he was. That I was like, what? Oh yeah, I knew that, but I still completely forgot because it's it's a complete like Gary Oldman chameleon type performance.
2: Yeah, pretty much.
1: I I I sorry. No, I was just gonna say like going back to um, David Copperfield. I have to say that I while I very much enjoyed all the performances and uh, particularly uh, Hugh Laurie um, because yeah, his character is one of my favourites in Blackadder. I kind of like. I felt the film dragged for me. Uh, I felt that, and no, I've never read David Copperfield, so I, you know, I can't speak in terms of its accuracy of uh, following the, the the story. But it, it really felt like it meandered for me, and and I was waiting for it to come to some sort of crescendo. And maybe that's just like uh, waiting for the atypical way that you have a uh, a story follow a beginning, middle, and end structure. Um, but like certain plot elements kind of just were there then dropped, then brought back for a minute and then but there wasn't really any kind of finality to them. Um, so I came out of the film a bit mixed because I did think that the performances across the the, the cast and it is an, an all-star ensemble uh, I thought everyone was was tremendous in their roles, but I did feel the the story in the film as a whole was just a little bit it, it dragged for me at, at points.
2: Yeah, I I don't think it dragged for me I kind of knew exactly how long Here's the thing I do with movies now Uh, Before I go see a movie I'll look up exactly how long it is Mainly just because the train's Back from my cinema like once Every half an hour so I kind of feel Like I want to always know roughly When I I have to Be at a certain place so I think Like I always kind of know roughly Where I am within a movie just because I know How long it is if that makes sense And I think that that I'm pre- being prepared for that kind of makes the film never feel like it's dragging too much. Uh, but yeah, I I really liked it and it it didn't ever really make me feel like the sort of time I want to just quickly be glancing at the clock to see where I am in the movie. I just enjoyed it all the way through. Ben Wishore, by the way, as like Uriah Heep, the slimy, horrible like villain of the piece. How good was he? Because I think he was kind of unrecognisable from the sort of character he normally plays, Mark.
1: I mean, considering like I saw Perfume last year, and um, before that, my uh, performance I remember most most from him would have been Q. Q. In yeah. The, yeah. Uh, so after seeing him in Perfume, like any kind of performance like that would wouldn't take me by surprise. But even with that said, yeah, he was completely unrecognizable from what I'd known. But I, I don't know if you've ever seen the the uh move the film version of Perfume but like he's just fucking phenomenal in that as well
2: I see I'll put that on the list I haven't seen yeah that. definitely
1: definitely definitely like it, it's surprising with Perfume considering like I love Kirk Cobain and he was like yeah Perfume favorite book of all time and I never got around to reading it um and I did and yeah he's performance in that is very much he channels I think some of that in this performance in in David Copperfield cool um in terms of video games which nominally we used to be here for
2: (laughs) i think um, we're just
1: getting a lot out of our system this week i'm sure you know standard procedures we're we're catching up we haven't done that in like two months yeah uh nearly so yeah um
0: i I suppose i won't i'm kind of like two i've like one i've talked about ad nauseum on the podcast one i've just finished and uh one i've just started so i won't take too long on any of these but um Watching The Witcher on Netflix and uh, talking to, to our friend of the show, Matt Niner, about his burgeoning adventures uh, with Geralt has made me jump back into The Witcher 3 a bit. And in fairness, we've never spoken about The Witcher 3 on this podcast before. Oh, never. Not even one time.
2: Yeah. What is that again?
0: <laughs> yeah. it's a, it's a, I don't want to spoil the surprise, but it's quite quite the video game. Um, it, it's fun because like we'll probably at some point later in this year do a best of the generation sort of deal um, and yeah this game came out five years ago this April or May somewhere around then and it's still my favourite game of the generation and the more I play it, the more I'm like oh it's not even close really
2: Will you put this <laughs> um, above like Zelda
0: yeah distantly wow yeah sometimes like when it had been when the kind of recency bias of i'm playing breath of the wild actively when it comes out i'm like okay it's right up there alongside the witcher but then i'm like i come back and i look at the witcher and i look at how fun the game is to play the scale that even for the impressive scale of uh breath of the wild this is on a whole nother level and was doing it a year or so beforehand um two years beforehand um, And again, just the depth of stuff. Like, I've played that game for well over 400 hours of my life, and I've still not even come close to finishing it. That's crazy. Um, that's distressing. Yeah. Now, that's like if you're going to go through and try and 100% the thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, you could beat the critical path in about 30 hours. Um, And that's kind of part of the... The, the great fun and the charm of the game is that you can kind of like you get out of it whatever you put in um if you just want to kind of smash through the main story you're kind of going to miss out on a lot of stuff that colors in around the edges because even some of the non-critical path stuff you kind of encounter characters at different stages before or after you would have met them on the the critical path and it fills stuff in and it it kind of colors in the world and stuff and it's just it's it's just i will never get sick of running around in there and like popping in doing a couple of witcher contracts or a couple of side quests or just you know having some fun doing some treasure hunts or whatever um it's probably the only significant huge kind of action rpg of that type i've ever fallen for but Holy hell, <laughs> did I fall for it, and I still have. I fucking love that game to bits, and it, it still holds up. Uh, and it looks gorgeous uh, since they put that 4K patch on it um, a couple of years ago. Um, it's, yeah, it's just
1: phenomenal. Um, I, I know me and you will, will never see eye to eye on The Witcher, but I'm at least content that we'll... You will remain incorrect. Or yes. no, but we will always <laughs> at least agree that fuck went, and I can at least work with yeah, that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah I maintain a very strong fuck went stance <laughs> that is for absolute sure. Um, I also finished uh, a game that we kind of talked about a little bit on Game of the Year, uh, the Outer Worlds.
1: Um, I I went and I listened to more of that soundtrack by the way, and it's um I I wish claws. that I, yeah I wish anyway, that I. Are you
0: Are you thinking about Outer Worlds or Outer Wilds? Uh, uh, Outer Wilds is the kind of bluegrassy banjo space exploration game. This yeah. is the Fallout, but in space. Game yeah, I st-
1: I still haven't remembered which one is which. I'm on about the other one, so never mind. Yeah, I'm yeah. just gonna mute my mic. That, now. I know you were dead right on that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, the Outer Worlds is the the Fallout New
0: Vegas people. Yeah, right. Okay.
1: Yeah, I have not listened to the that. soundtrack of that one.
0: Ah, uh, yeah, it's pretty. It's bog standard sci-fi. Like it, it works when it works. It's it's kind of. Uh, minimal interruption from it uh, the game the kind of it's not it's kind of boilerplate and it's action and it's first-person shooting shooting mechanics um nothing you haven't seen before um but kind of where it makes its hay is kind of where new vegas did and that's in terms of characterization which i talked about before and if our if our award in a uh, game of the year was best writing as opposed to best story this probably would have um like it would have been a much longer discussion talking about this thing, but I finished it anyway. Um, I, I kind of am doing this thing where I'm not starting a load of games at once. I'm trying to polish off ones I haven't finished before I start new ones this year. We'll see how long that lasts. Um, but yeah, it, it's really, really good. I, I can understand how some people, it feels like there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of build up, And then it kind of, the ending kind of almost sneaks up on you and then you're kind of just into the last stretch um it doesn't kind of it feels like it, act 1 and act 2 take a lot more time kind of ruminating in in what it's trying to do and the story is trying to tell whereas act 3 then suddenly is like a fairly quick change of pace and like the go 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 um so but apart from that like i i think it's it, it it's really really enjoyable fun i don't think it's a game that you're gonna kind of like a fallout game for kind of big fallout fans i don't think it's something like that that you'd come back to over and over again i was perfectly happy with the time i spent with it and now to kind of like put it to the back of my mind and, and not think about it uh, again because, oh yeah yeah i remember that that was pretty good um it feels like a game that when it gets discounted to uh, like the stage where it's like 20 25 euros it'll be among the best investments you make at that price and then you'll feel like you, you got away with uh murder when it eventually comes to like ps plus or, or games with gold or something like that you'll feel there's a hell of a, a deal i've gotten for free this month um really enjoyable game if you're somebody who didn't like uh, didn't like fallout before now this isn't gonna convert you on it. It's just a very good one of those kind of a situation, um. And the other one, the other game I've been playing a little bit about is something that's been, I think, in kind of if you follow a lot of people on, video game Twitter per se, you'll have seen because this is how it came across my my radar. Uh, this game called uh, Kentucky Route Zero, which was a PC game that I think the first chapter of it. There's five chapters to the game. And it started coming out in twenty thirteen, but now it's all being collected and put on um current day consoles, including Nintendo Switch, which is where I purchased it. And I started Act One last night, and it's um it's a point and click adventure game, so it's it's right up my street, and maybe not so much up Mark Robinson Street. Um but it's like it's one of those how would I put it? It's a weird one. Like it's it's one of those kind of you're, especially in the early phases, you're walking through a world that's that's quite weird and it's all kind of like a point and like adventure game. You kind of, the things you do and the, the actions you take, you kind of, you're interacting with everything in the world. You're talking to people, choosing different dialogue options. You're solving a few puzzles uh, to move on in different places. Um it's kind of, I'll, I'll, um, I'll read a bit of the plot off here because I don't want to get it wrong when I'm only being like an hour or two in. Uh, you play Conway, a truck driver, working as a delivery man for an antique shop owned by a woman named Lysette. Uh, being hired to make a delivery to 5 Dogwood Drive, Conway travels the roads around Interstate 65 in Kentucky to locate the address accompanied by his dog, whose name is chosen by the player. I chose Homer. Uh, after searching around Conway elaborates that he is lost and stops off at a gas station called Echoes Oils and that's where your game starts Um, and it's all about your character Conway and the weird and wonderful and off-kilter people he meets trying to find um, a fictional Route Zero in in Kentucky uh, where he makes his final antique delivery. Um, It's one that's better played than described i don't think i i don't think any description i've read by people far more uh loquacious than i have really been able to nail what this game is and how it feels and what the experience is like it's one you're just going to have to take a punt on and try yourself if that kind of point-and-click adventure game and it's kind of there is a little bit spooky it's a little bit funny it's a little bit lynchian uh, in ways if that kind of appeals to you just take a punt on it um i'm starting to see what a lot like i know a lot of the waypoint crowd are talking about how like this is one of the best narrative games of the last x amount of years alex navarro from giant bomb finally caved and play it and he's like you know what the people who were saying that are absolutely right um i'm liking where it's going so far but i'm not far enough in to make any sort of conclusive statement on it yet but a uh, really interesting game i i like the the kind of the funky uh and kind of um, like low key art style in the game as well. Yeah, really, really enjoy it. Um, I
1: I should I should just like push myself to get more into the, the the narrative type games. But I know what my patience is like with these kinds of things. And I think part of my problem um, is that uh, my schedule doesn't allow to sit down for long periods of time. And and um and play for, you know, like an hour or two hours at a time, and it's part of the reason why I still haven't even dared go near Red Dead Redemption 2 yet, because I know it's just not a game you can pick up for five minutes at a time. And I feel like with, with narrative games that it's not something that I want to sit down and play for five, ten minutes at a time. I think it, it, it breaks up the story too much in a way that you can't kind of fully invest yourself in it. And and that's that's always been the thing with me when it comes to, to stuff like that. And and I'll talk about that when I get to to my game in a moment. But you know, I, I definitely have heard that this is one of those types of games, but done really well. And you know, at some point, I should just take a pump with it. But you know, I'm sure you'll convince me at some point, Dave. I yeah, I'm the opposite, I'll I'll Mark. Like,
2: I get invested more in narrative games than I do in games with no strong narrative. Like, I, I really like buying into a story and caring about what I'm doing. I feel like all of my favorite video games just have a really kind of strong sense of character or, like, a purpose to them.
0: We've got one last game here
1: on the list. Who is uh, who is responsible? That'd be me. Uh, the Pedestrian. That This came out a, a few days ago. It's, uh, like, a puzzle platformer that's uh, on Steam. I'm hoping it comes to switch at some point it is it's very it's a very pretty looking game and it's it's a it's a very unique game so it kind of takes the i'm not gonna say like so if you think about the witness in how it has the the kind of overworld that you exist in and then you have like these you know individual puzzles that you go to. Uh, that make up kind of the core component of the game so the pedestrian is a little bit like that but instead of having a, an overworld you, you kind of go from puzzle to puzzle but you kind of have this kind of long transition between these puzzles uh, and does, does it in a way where I think it's a little bit to sort of showcase the, the art direction and, and the work that goes into the kind of background environments because they're not fundamental to the game, but they are very pretty, and, and I think that there's at least a little bit of credit that needs to go to into that. But the actual kind of puzzles themselves, they they take place in all kind of different assortments of like traffic stop signs, and these different types of boards, and you have like a little stick man character, and the actual des- the design on the puzzles and, and the environments that you walk around, they're these kind of very basic black and white or monochromatic uh, backgrounds. And they kind of they consist of you know you trying to get through one door to get to another, but depending on the particular puzzle you're dealing with, you may have you know five or six different boards that make up the entire area that you can traverse, and you can pick up and drag these boards around, and each board will have like their own places where you can connect usually with either like doors or ladders. And so you might have to move one board to like the top part of this area, this square that you have to work with. And then you might bring another board that you can drag down. And um, if there's like a ladder at the bottom part of the top board and there's a ladder at the top part of the bottom board, you can connect them and you can go down the ladder. And that you kind of have to like plan, you know, the, the route that you're gonna take to get from a to B to C to D to whatever it is to get out of that specific area. But the thing about it is you can't, you know, brute force it by doing one part and then kind of figuring out, okay, what's the next thing that I do? Because if you break the chain at any point, it resets the puzzle back to the beginning again. So you can kind of, you know, maybe do like half of, of if you've got like six boards, You might do three of them and then kind of get to a point and then get stuck but realize okay i know this bit i just need to figure out like the last part of this puzzle and then you can kind of make your way through to the next area and it expands on this so you get to a point where you'll have like one kind of central hub of an area and you may have um like a door that you need to get through but you need the key to get there and there will be like four different areas to go to where uh one you know there's like a battery pack that you need to charge like a platform that rises and falls and needs like an electric charge you have to go get that and then from there you'll be able to take that to get to another platform that allow you to get like a key or whatever to open the door and so you know you have to kind of take check off these areas to get to it's I think like the, the the Bioshock trope of like the the exits right there in front of you but you have to go the long way round to figure out how to actually get through and it's I've I've played about an hour and a bit of it and you know I've played it in like 10 minute increments like I'll do a couple of puzzles then I'll go away and I'm really enjoying it it's um there's nothing that has had me stuck for, for too long yet. Um, I think the game is only about three, four hours long. Uh, I've definitely seen people say that, you know, you can easily do it over a weekend. But it's it's, got a, it's not like a unique art style, but the contrast between the, the background environments and the actual environment of what you play in uh, is, is a nice contrast. And I like how you traverse between the different uh, parts of the game. And yeah, it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool i just wish it was on switch so hopefully fingers crossed well hashtag great on switch going back for 2020. (laughs)
0: I suppose we hit a bit of news before we uh, before we head on here and finish the episode um, I think the big bombshell of the week that happened uh, the night before we went to record is that Dan Houser one of the men synonymous uh, as being uh, I think a lot of news stories describe him as the mastermind behind Rockstar Games is to leave the company um, such a dramatic announcement that the stock of the company took uh, close to a 10% hit was it? um Overnight um just at the thought of him leaving. Um I suppose, you know, rather than kind of get into the kind of because really the news story is just he's leaving, kind of reflect maybe we'll go to Jack first, because we we just heard from Mark, uh the the significant role that Rockstar games have played in our um in our lives, uh, playing
2: video games. I mean, it's pretty difficult to kind of sum up the entire legacy of of what Rockstar in the Dan Houser era has been in my life, just because I think I kind of grew up with playing the initial kind of top-down Grand Theft Auto. Um, I was one of the people who was dumb enough to say, like, when it went 3D for Grand Theft Auto 3, I was like, oh, it's never going to be the same. (laughs) You know, they're just making it like all of the other video games, and then they made it, like, to the point where everybody... Said that a sandbox game was basically a GTA like. So he's built this company into like this just monolithic, Titanic thing, uh, and just it, it. They are. Would you say they were the flagship in terms of, in terms of just the quality of games that they put out? Like just the absolute imp, like explicit levels of detail and just beautiful. Like environments and, and really amazing things that they develop uh, Rockstar. What, what do you reckon, guys?
1: Uh, you know what? The thing is, right, this whole thing, because I, I spent a couple of days thinking about it, and you know, as everyone's kind of pointed out in their news stories, uh, like, Danhausen had, had um, has taken an extended break. You know, like, he, he pretty much left the company last year, really, at this point. And Every time um, I, th- I'm trying to remember when this started. I don't think it was with, with GTA Five that it started, but definitely with Red Dead Redemption, and it wasn't helped with certain comments that were made. Um, but and I, I, I just I don't see how it won't be a thing going forward with. Rockstar, uh, and certainly with you know other AAA games as well, this idea around the the crunch that's involved with the development of these higher end AAA tier games, and I do wonder how much of the the blowback that Rockstar got with certain comments that were made, are uh, up, coming up with the release of Red Dead Two, and I think after as well. Um, You know, I wonder how much of it was just him just like, you know, I I can't be fucked with this anymore. But then also I I imagine there's just a certain level of burnout that after you've made, you know, the types of games that they've been making and and writing about. And as much as I think, as much as I enjoy GTA 5, like I'm I'm curious to know where the hell they could go next. Because certainly from like GTA 3 onwards, there was a certain level of social commentary um, that they would go at and and satire and certain aspects that they've kind of run into the ground now and you know i, I just i don't know where you would go next with that series but like uh, rockstar as a whole and their games going back to you know the first one i played being the original top-down grand theft auto as well they are certainly some of the most kind of pivotal games that i played and you know the the first red Dead redemption is one of my favorite games of the the last generation is one of my favorite games of the last decade and i'm sure at some point when we do those podcasts and we thrash that out you know i'll have so much more to say about them but uh i i can see i i I, you know we'll never know exactly but considering the the extended break that he took last year um and considering some of the the controversy that came with the uh, you know the fallout of of those comments and everything we've read there too i could see and just be like you know what um, maybe his work ethic isn't in line with like what should be a kind of a standard practices in place for for game development these days, or maybe he's just like fuck this and wants to go do something else. Yeah. I I
0: think to me it's very reminiscent of um, Bruce Straley at Naughty Dog. Um, I think people that hold high up creative positions for a long time in an industry that's so hell bent on things like crunch, that we talk about in the show before. I, I think it's only a matter of time before for something strains to the point of breaking or someone burns out. And and Bruce Traley did a similar thing where he kind of... Um, they started production on Last of Us 2 and he took an extended break and then they just decided he's just not coming back. Um, and, and I suppose it's kind of unfair to... Uh, like, you, you get it from the perspective of fans in some respect because it's like, I like the thing this person does. They should keep doing that thing forever. For me, so that I constantly have a stream of that thing, but it's like very intensive on the the person on the other side of it, and I I guess after so long in the business and being so successful at such a high level, um, some people, not all people, but but some people feel okay. I've done all I can do here. I gotta go do something else. Or even after all that time, fuck it. If the guy wants to go. Live in a shack on a mountain and do fucking nothing. More power to him. because um, again, as you've both touched upon, what what a legacy.
2: Yeah, I it, to the point where like, BBC made a dramatised version of his life with fucking Harry Potter playing him, like Daniel Radcliffe was playing Dan Howser. Yeah. Like, how many other video game companies would have anywhere close to that level of notoriety? Like, it's 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 insane. Um, it checked off pretty much every. Big thing that you can do in the video game industry, and yeah, maybe he just, maybe he's kind of reached the end, and he's just like, yeah, I, I'm just gonna go do whatever now. You know, go do like what Tom from MySpace did, and just take photos for the rest of his life, and go have amazing holidays, or you know, just enjoy being detached and not having the constant stress round the clock because. He must feel a lot of pressure to be the figurehead of this company. Like we've seen other notable figureheads of companies absolutely lose their shit in the last year or two uh, don't know if you can remind me of some of those names guys uh, <laughs> people that might have got certain awards near very close to at the end of last year but didn't actually end up winning it anyway uh, so yeah I still think we should name the reward after him but you know. yeah that's, we, we, sort of we, we could do it we could do it but yeah. um, yeah. did
1: you see? Did you hear about uh, Cliffy B and his uh, reasoning for why Lawbreakers didn't do as well as it should have because of the shite no, no because uh it didn't it wasn't woke enough
2: apparently. Ah. I see. Okay. But so one of you said about um I think it was Mark you said about um what do they do with the Grand Theft Auto series moving forward? I think genuinely Red Dead 2 in terms of its storyline was an absolute masterpiece and is actually the best full story that's ever been told in uh in a Rockstar game. I think from beginning to end, I deeply cared about the character of of, of Arthur and it sort of intensified how much his story meant to me towards the end of the game and just how kind of close to him as an individual I'd become. So I think that, if, the, if Rockstar had the ability to tell that amazing of an, a narrative story, mm. then they could easily do this with a, with a Grand Theft Auto game in a modern yeah. setting and make you care about a character and a storyline of a game as yeah, much I- as making an amazing environment which people will play online mm. and will make them squillions of pounds.
0: I also think it's worth noting that, one, I think like GTA is such a huge fucking ship that at this point... You know, it, it takes a village sort of thing. There's still a lot of people at Rockstar who have huge input on on what those games are. It's also worth noting that GTA Five came out in twenty thirteen, Uh like the the guts of seven years ago, and it's safe to say that if Dan Houser was still actively working up until his, his break, then he has probably had significant input into what the next game is going to be. We just don't know that, what it is yet. Yeah, of course.
1: Yeah, and, and think of as well, like, GTA 5, and as you pointed out, came out in 2013. That fucking thing has sold 110 million copies. And uh, as of now, I think Red Dead Two has sold about twenty nine million copies. So it might be a little bit off, but I don't think that is you know ever going to reach the numbers of, of GTA Five. And uh, I would certainly imagine that for Take Two, you know, and and certainly with the stock price drop as well, they're going to be looking at okay, we what can we do? What what, what can we announce that is going to keep our investors, keep the board, whatever you know bring things back to, to normality and
0: but but even i will say on that but like the stock market is so volatile nowadays like you look sure. at some, some of company we talked about earlier on like wwe sacked two of their executives last week and took nearly a 25 percent hit on their value and it's already that was last week and most of that value has been climbed back already you know what i mean and they haven't even
1: appointed anyone in those roles yet yeah, no, that's a fair point. That is a fair point and, you know, I'm sure by this time next week uh, the circumstances will probably be different, but with that said, um, you know, I would still imagine Take-Two as a whole and and Rockstar they're looking ahead to, you know, what is next and what does a GTA 6 look like? And, you know, because there there is going to be a GTA 6. There's just no way there isn't going to be with the power and leverage that that game has in the gaming industry and just the juggernaut that GTA 5 was and along with that GTA Online as well Um, so you know it'll just be curious to see what that game will look like and what that game will look like in 2020 because You know, for everything Cliffy B is talking about in terms of wokeness, well, yeah, sure, the environment, even seven years later, is is different than it was in 2013, and there are certain aspects of the GTA series, even though it has drastically changed in itself from, like, GTA 3 to what it is now, or even going back to GTA 1. So, I am curious to see what the hell that next game looks like, and what they do with it, um, and where they would base it as well, because, you know, I think for me and Jack, we were always like, We'd love to see a GTA in London, but we've got the the next watchdogs, which is You got two getaway games. Them. We did get two getaway games, uh, yeah, but I, come on now. Come on. <laughs> so I you know, where the hell do they place that next one? And Give me know. Vice City two.
2: <laughs> I mean it <laughs> kinda has to be, right? Uh, that that is where you would expect it to be. They've they've gone back to uh, New York, they've gone... with uh, GTA 4, they've gone back to San Andreas-y kind of vibe with GTA 5, that, that that's where it's going to be, right? It has, has to be vice. I'm trying to remember,
1: did, did we get... I can't remember what like DLC content came out in terms of... Like, you know, for GTA 4 I had the Ballad of Gay Tony and... Lost the, the motorbike damned. yeah 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 like i can't remember gta 5 had any of that stuff no, where they I just didn't. focused everything on on no. gta online it was all
0: like mission packs and heist
2: packs for the online there was no actual story dlc yeah so the story like, was massive though like it was a good 40 50 hours of story i feel like it was oh of huge. course of course
1: but if you, if you think about gta 3 like after that you had vice city and then san andreas and then for gta 4 it had it's standalone stories with *The Lost and Damned* and *Ballad of the Gay Tony*, and I guess we had a few other bits and pieces that came out during that time. We had like the the was the Liberty City stories on on PSP. Was that just a remaking or its own stories as well? No, it, it was, was like its its own it. thing. Yeah, it was it? Its yeah. Own
2: story. It kind of links back in, in in the same way that that there was a Vice City game that had a similar feel to it as well. Yeah, yeah so, so that was like, called Vice City Stories, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I played so, it I it both and remember like nothing about you. <laughs>
1: I remember more about the Chinatown Wars game that than any of those. Yeah. yeah, but I think it was just the novelty of having that on on the DS. But I I, I think that you know it might not even be a GTA six. It could be a, a, a GTA whatever story they want to do that is you know its own kind of weird standoffish thing. It, it could it just... well
0: be a persistent online platform for it. yeah.
1: That's the other thing. I mean, considering how much fucking money that thing still makes, maybe they just say fuck it. The next thing is just a GTA online, and I don't know. They make their own fucking world of Warcraft with GTA. Who
2: knows? I like single-player path narrative games. Don't take them away from me, Rockstar.
1: <laughs> well, I I don't think they will. Because was it which game was it? I think like they announced that Fallen Order did really well, and you know they kind of gave a, a vote of confidence for those sort of single-player storyline missions uh, type games and i don't think they'll ever go away you know i i think every developer every publisher is going to have their one game that is that kind of thing their version of overwatch or you know they'll do a nintendo and make a couple of mobile games that are half-baked ideas on uh, actual good games they have, but for whatever reason, make a, an extortionate amount of money. So I, I, I don't think you know you'll see the the entire industry go towards that platform. I do think the industry will just be like each publisher or developer will have their one version of that, that you know has a, a trickle in of economy that may make up the bulk of their fucking profits for that year. Um, but you know I, I don't think we'll ever see the, I don't think we'll see single player. Games, single-player story campaigns disappear anytime soon. Yeah, I hope not. I hope not. And we definitely won't be going towards a a streaming service anytime soon, but we'll save that story (laughs) for next week. Indeed.
0: Uh, On that note, I think we'll draw a close to our first rebooted edition of Link to the Cast. At Link to the Cast on Twitter, you're going to find all the good shit all the links to our shows as they're posted and get to interact with us on there individually. I'm at the day to Dave. Mark is at Lithium Project and Jack is at Jack Lazell. Uh, something new that we need to plug this week. Mark, we're on
1: the gram with the cool kids. We are. That is where all the kids are these days. Fuck your Facebooks. Fuck your Twitters. Fuck your touts. It is about the Instagram. Uh what yeah, about Friendster? We- are we still on Friendster? <laughs> friends to tiktok what's there's a, a there's a new one like bite i think or something bite, that's, yeah, be what, that's it's like be the, the, new, the vine. new vine yeah yeah uh yeah so we set up a, a an instagram account it's just at link to the cast uh that will mostly be used just to um post like uh you know recaps of, of older shows um but obviously it'll be used to kind of let you know when a new show is out so please please go give that a follow because uh you know it'll be good to get the numbers up for that and M-
0: mention us and tag us in your stories if that's a thing oh, people course. still do on
1: there should, should i delete
2: our
0: Bebo? i'm what should... <laughs> no Bebo's coming back man i can feel it okay good
1: stuff all right justin timberlake's put a huge stake in it so yeah
2: <laughs> that was one of the weirdest shit that's ever happened like after <laughs> myspace dies justin timberlake buys it what the yeah, fuck yeah. was and he thinking
1: presumably
0: buries tom in a desert
2: <laughs> yeah
1: I'm pretty sure he's still in my top eight friends list, but yeah, (laughs) Instagram, go give it a listen, Uh, we, as you can see, you know, we're revamping things for the year going ahead, Um, we also are intending to do more wrap up shows, because we, uh, I think we did maybe like three last year, and two of them were both of WrestleMania, so we have a kind of monthly plan in place for that um but we also we, you know we'll be doing this on a on a weekly basis going forward we took a little break over the january period to do with brexit and all the bollocks that came with that got, yeah um, <laughs> please don't mention that yeah yeah you're not More here anymore fun, you don't will, get it? to moan about that
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah it's it's been a good time and let's let's get this ball rolling again cool welcome back everybody we will
0: see you very soon again with another episode of Link to the Cast.